0: Welcome to episode 25 of Ask Paul Kirtley, where we are going to talk about getting started with carving, exploding rocks, dangerous gases in heated tents, worn fire steels, what to do in those situations. Does char cloth have a shelf life, sleeping bag condensation and Snapchat exercises? What are we doing on Snapchat? Some strange goings on. Find out more in this episode. welcome welcome to ask paul kirtley episode 25 apologies this is a little later than the usual friday evening slot i've been running an elementary course in sussex elementary wilderness bushcraft course with a great bunch of guys i've had a full course this week um, shout out to everyone on that course including tom and mick and josh and all the other guys that are on that course mikey um Wayne we've just had a really really good fun week and I've really really enjoyed it I'm a little bit tired and spoons and shoulders are just in camp getting sorted after that course we've got a woodcrafter starting tomorrow so i just thought i'd take the opportunity to record an episode of ashport curly so if you hear things going on in the background i'm not far away from camp you might hear wood being split the sun's going down very shortly so the light levels might change we've got a few planes going over there's a bird scarer over on the other side of the estate where there's a farm and there's crops and that's been going popped today so There's going to be some noises perhaps that pick up on the microphone. But anyway, great to be out in the woods. I've been out in the woods for this whole week, um, running an elementary course, as I say, and we've got a woodcrafter coming and it's starting to feel like spring. Um, it's It's been a weird winter here. Um, It was really quite warm early on in the year and it felt like spring was going to come early. But now we're in the middle of April now and the bluebells are only just coming out. A lot of the spring plants are not really present yet. We've still got daffodils and primroses and wooden enemies, which is really, really odd. Um, (laughs) Teaching the elementary course where we're often teaching... uh, how to identify trees because of the leaves using the leaves to identify particularly the deciduous trees we've got very very few um, and only this week have we got the silver birch coming out they've literally just started to come into leaf this week so it's it's really quite late now it's been very wet again this week it's been very wet underfoot it's wet up in the woods um, we've got very heavy clay soils here and it's the wettest i've seen it um, for a good number of years so yeah, really, really strange weather, but again, just great to be out, uh, lots and lots of bird life at the moment as well. We had a bivvy over on the other side of the area that we're using here, a few kilometres away from here the other day, and it was absolutely beautiful, It was a sunny evening like it is tonight, the birds were singing, we were sat by the campfire, absolutely fantastic. So it's been a great week, shout out to all the guys on that course, absolutely Really, really loads of fun, lots of banter, lots of laugh, laughing around the campfire, particularly towards the end today. Um, we've just been for a couple of beers. So apologies if I sound like I've had a beer, because I have, um, but very, very nice of uh, Ronnie in particular. Shout out to Ronnie for buying myself uh, a beer and to Mick um, for buying us around as well, for, for both of those guys for buying us a beer. So anyway, on with the episode getting started with carving john bland writes hi paul um i love your website blog and youtube Uh, thank you very very much john and his question is i would like to ask this year i want to try my hand at making utensils out in the field i.e spoons etc what's the best way to start and the best equipment needed for beginners thanks all the best john well john I would start relatively small. Start with an eating spoon. If you've never done any carving before, when you say you want to get started with utensils, I'm assuming that you've not done much carving before. You maybe have carved smaller things, I don't know. But if you haven't, start with smaller utensils, Um, eating spoons, um, butter knives, those sorts of things, small projects that are easily achievable, that don't take an age that you can work on your carving skills with. Um, choose woods that are not too difficult to carve. Sycamore, birch are particularly good if they're green. Um, don't choose <laughs> fruit woods or uh, hawthorn or, or things that are going to be hard to carve. So choose something that's relatively easy to carve. Lime as well is nice and easy to carve. So something like sycamore or birch which are common, widespread, easy to be found lime not so common but if you do have some that's really nice to carve Um, a little bit harder maybe rowan or even ash you can make some nice things with those but they're a little bit tougher so start with those make some small eating spoons look at the shape of spoons just pull spoons out of your cutlery drawer and look carefully at the shape of them try and replicate that in wood draw round something if you need to um, and work to that shape work to that design and then Once you can get that down with your carving tools, um, then you can move on to bigger things. So what do you need? A, A Mora clipper, Mora companion knife is fine to start carving with, and then you're gonna need some sort of spoon knife to carve out a bowl. Um, Svanti Jav makes some really good ones in Sweden, and I probably butchered that name. Ben Orford makes some good ones, and then you've got a, a standard sort of Mora less expensive spoon knife as well. So, you need something for scooping out the bowls, and then just a general bushcraft knife for carving. If you want some specific carving uh, equipment, get a Mora wood carving knife one of the small more wood carving knives and they're very very good as well for carving you can get more powerful cuts with those more specific tool but you don't need a lot it's not going to cost you a lot of money and you can carve a lot of great things then when it comes to carving larger things yes you can do larger utensils some nice serving spoons and and whatnot I would start maybe with some larger uh, spatulas and and those sorts of things and then you know fairly two-dimensional in terms of being flat but you've carving something bigger and particularly you're going to need to start maybe carving with an axe so small forest axe or a wildlife hatchet depending on how big your hands are typically for most guys small forest axe works well work the materials in the same way that you are working the knife be careful though the the uh, the injuries that you get when you cut yourself with an axe are typically worse than when you nick yourself with a knife so make sure you know what you're doing but it's generally with green wood carving with an axe it's a slicing motion it comes from the wrist it's all quite close by have a chopping block to work on chopping block axe cherries very nice rowan's very nice again you can use sycamore for your bigger utensils they're good for making those and once you've got the The gist of making some bigger stuff then start making more complicated shapes so some nice serving spoons after that you can start working on things like ladles which are more complicated you might need to find a piece of wood that's got a side branch which forms a handle and the main bowl from the main trunk of a tree and you might need to source that wood um, from somebody who's got access to larger pieces of wood so a tree surgeon or a forester or or if you've got access to woodland, then maybe you can fell that yourself. But again, you need to have um, the skill in order to do that, because felling trees, even moderate sized trees, can be somewhat hazardous if you don't know what you're doing. So maybe source the wood from somewhere somewhere else. So that's the way that I would progress, John. Hopefully that helps. And if you need more specific advice, just drop me a line and I can can help you out with that. Or or jump on my woodcrafter course, when you get the opportunity, because we cover a lot of those things and more on the woodcraft course i um, running one of those next week but i'm also running one in early august all right exploding rocks question from mark O'Flaherty, and his question is hi paul uh, <sighs> question concerns cooking on or more generally heating rocks i had the experience of cooking on rocks Uh, when one exploded the heated fragments leaving burn holes in my rucksack naturally i'm reluctant to do this again so any experience of identifying those rocks which are safe to heat for cooking or making a sauna really appreciate you taking the time to read this all the best mark all right mark yeah you do need to be extremely careful with heating rocks in fires because if they do explode you know holes in your rucksack are you know not the end of the world. Holes in yourself are not great. Eyes are precious. You don't want to be risking your eyesight. Um, you need to be extremely careful with rocks in that sense. It can be like a hand grenade going off in your in your fire. Um, rocks that have been wet, rocks that have been soaking in water, rocks that have water inside them, particularly porous rocks, um, are dangerous because what happens is the water uh, boils and the rocks can explode some rocks as well uh, like flint are particularly dangerous because they explode anyway and the fragments are like glass so avoid rocks that have been in water or have soaked and avoid flint you want dry rocks you want things like sandstone which is dry you want granite um, which is not been soaked either granite is particularly good because it's solid and uh, that holds a lot of heat so if you want to cook on rocks if you want to make a ground oven or if you want to make a uh, a sweat lodge or a sauna or something like that those type of things are what you need Um, just avoid taking stuff there's the bird scurrer avoid taking stuff from the edge of water and heating it up you know from the edges of lakes from the edges of rivers um, because that is potentially going to e- explode so hopefully that helps short answer um, but those are the things to avoid dangerous gases and heated tents and this follows on from some of my articles on how to live in a heated tent this is from carlton blackwell his question is hi paul i've been a camper all my life since cubs and have often wondered now i take my boys camping should i be taking a co2 detector with me we use a tent TP with a wood stove for heating thanks for all the great info you supply on your site well again you're very welcome carlton yeah you do want to be concerned about your kids you should look after your boys um in terms of dangerous gases, intense, the thing you really need to worry about is carbon monoxide, not carbon dioxide. So, a carbon monoxide detector would be a sensible thing. It's a silent killer. And the way that carbon monoxide works, as you may know, is basically it binds to your red blood cells, um, the hemoglobin more, more readily. Than oxygen does and then the oxygen can't be transported around your body and you effectively asphyxiate due to your blood being saturated with the carbon monoxide it's odorless it's colorless um, it takes you without knowing um, and and it's it's a really scary thing so yes I would recommend if you want to be belt and braces in your tent particularly if you're all sleeping and leaving the stove going then get a carbon monoxide detector. That would be a sensible investment. And I don't think it's at odds with traditional camping. Um, we have these modern things available to us. Let's make use of them and, and keep your kids safe. Sensible. I would do that, Carlton. Yep. Next one Warn Fire Steels. And this is from David McNeil. And his question is. What do we do once the end of one's fire flash becomes worn? I have been using your technique described in your video, which I will link here on YouTube and in the show notes on my blog, about making really big sparks with great success. With so much practice, I have quickly worn the bottom third of my fire flash into uh, the all too familiar hourglass shape, to the point it does not function as well as it did. He's attached a picture, but um, I haven't got it here. Um, There is still plenty of usable material left, and my first thought was just to cut off the worn part. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't overlooking something before breaking out the hacksaw. Thank you for your time, Dave. No, you can do that. It just ends up being shorter. You can hacksaw it off where the hourglass is. You get some interesting sparks when you <laughs> use a hacksaw on a fire steel. That's quite fun. So don't do it over your favorite surface or your favorite carpet or anything like that because you will get a shower of sparks. A hacksaw blade makes quite a good striker for fire steel. So running it across, you're going to get some sparks. Or just wait till it gets so thin, you can snap it off. That's the other option so yes there's no issue with breaking it off it's just going to, you're going to end up with a shorter fire steel but i've done that with some of mine and then you just wear it down again and so on and so forth and after the second time i usually replace mine um, because you don't um you, you, the, the, the whole ergonomics of the thing changes so i tend to just replace it after that but yeah you're not missing anything that's what i would do next one char cloth shelf life this is a good question This is from Alex Higby and he's watched every episode, which is very, very flattering. Thank you, Alex. And he has said um, he said he's been a bit of a lurker so far, but he's got a question. He says, I like to use flint and steel for starting fires while out in the field here in Wyoming. And with it, I use char cloth. It's a classic combination and it works very well. I can see why you would do that, Alex. And his question is Does char cloth have a shelf life? I normally use char cloth soon after I make it, but last year I made some at the beginning of summer and did not use it for several months. When I did go to use it, I found it extremely hard to get it to catch a spark. I used all the same materials, I used all the same materials I normally do, and made it the same way. The only difference was the length of time between making it and using it. If you could please answer this question, I would be very thankful. Well, Alex, um, I think it's quite straightforward. If the char cloth was working well in the first place and then it wasn't working well later, Uh, I think it's a case of moisture absorption. Um, There isn't really a shelf life for char cloth, but one thing is it's extremely susceptible to atmospheric moisture. So if you leave it in a shed or a garage and there is a little bit of cold or dampness there or both, or even just temperature fluctuations where you might get a slight bit of condensation on harder objects, the char cloth, if it's not sealed, may well um, start to pick up a bit of that moisture. And that's the case when you're out in the woods as well, if you make some char cloth and leave it in uh, a damp environment for a few days with air um, able to get to it, it can start to really drop off in terms of how easy it is to get it to, drop a, to catch a spark when you drop one onto it from a, from a flint and steel. And, um, The the easy way to to rectify that is just put it back on some heat and drive the moisture off. So you know, if we make our char cloth, typically when we make it on courses, we use an old coffee tin, we stuff a torn up cotton tea towel, a tea cloth into there, lid on, on the fire, there's a small uh, hole, smoke and flames come out. That makes the char cloth in the first place. Once the smoke and flames diminish, we take it off, we plug the hole, leave it to cool, we've got char cloth. But then over time, if it's not sealed, plane going directly overhead there i'm sure you can hear it um, they fly a bit lower when the weather's clear that's the thing and it's a nice evening tonight um, saturday evening i'm recording this flights coming into gatwick's not that close as i've said before but we do get them coming over there's a turning beacon over there and then they go off across to gatwick so if you're ever flying into gatwick airport you may be flying over the top of me recording an Aspore Curtly kirtley episode but yeah so you've got this char cloth and it soaks up moisture like a sponge um, in the sense that even a little bit of moisture will go in there and it will stop it working so well. So take the tin, put it back on the fire, drive the moisture out, desiccate it again take it off let it cool and it should be working back to the the high standard that you'd expect when you first make it so try that if you find it not working very well and i suspect that will bring it right back up to the level that you expect hopefully that helps next one we're losing the light now the sun has just gone down it was a nice sunset over there next one is about sleeping bag condensation this is from Sorry if I pronounce this incorrectly. Hell Langsgrud. Hello Paul, thank you for your articles. I'm not so good in the English language, so please excuse me for some mistakes. Um your English is much better than my Norwegian. So you've got nothing to, nothing to apologize for. I've tried once this winter to sleep outside in minus 24 degrees Celsius. I slept well, but my sleeping bag was very wet because of the condensation of breathing. Do you have an idea about how to avoid this? Well, I don't know if you are, we're in a tent, we're in a bivy bag, we're in the forest, we're in the mountains, but generally you get a lot of condensation in your sleeping bag and your sleeping system as a whole, particularly if you have a bivy bag over your sleeping bag because you breathe into it. So if you tighten it up so much that it's over your mouth, then breathing into it, that is gonna put a lot of moisture in because every time we breathe in, we are moisturising the air and every time we breathe out some of that moisture is lost and we can put a lot of moisture into uh, clothing or sleeping equipment if we're breathing into that so the key thing is not to be breathing into your sleeping bag in the first place or if you have a bivy bag as well not to be breathing into your bivy bag the next thing is if you're inside some sort of bivy bag then maybe it's not permeable enough, maybe it's not breathing well enough, that can cause moisture buildup on the sleeping bag as well. That's not necessarily due to you breathing into your equipment, that's just got to do with uh, perspiration from your body, um, and we all perspire all the time. It's one of the things that helps keep our, our skin supple and not from drying and cracking. We get this imperceptible perspiration that's going all the time, and overnight we're probably gonna sweat, perspire, The equivalent of about a third of a litre, about um, 330 millilitres, about the size of a can of coke or other uh, soft drink or other soda, however you want to call that. And that's going to exude from us. You often see it down towards the bottom of your sleeping bag where it's been in contact with other things. As bivvy bags, you get some moisture build up there, often just close to your upper body as well where maybe you're giving off a bit more moisture. And then that can combine with you breathing into it to cause quite a lot of moisture around your shoulders and around your upper body, particularly if you've got a bivy bag over the outside of your sleeping bag. Um, so that, that's largely the issue. It's that imperceptible perspiration combined with breathing that's gonna add moisture into your sleeping kit. The only other issue is that if you dress too heavily and go to sleep, then maybe your temperature goes up you sweat at certain stages in your sleep, you don't realize and then that moisture in your your clothing, if you're wearing a lot of clothing and your sleeping equipment then builds up and that can then cause it to, to not work as well for the insulative properties of the clothing and of the sleeping bag not to be working as well and that can then cause you to be cold later on in the night. So it can be tempting to put lots of clothes on when you first get in your sleeping bag and then you sweat and then it makes it wet and it makes it cold so you need to manage that carefully and not put too many things on in the first place if you're cold before you get in your sleeping bag do some quick physical exercises do some arm circles do some press-ups do some squats get some heat rising in your body not so much that you sweat but just feel like you feel like you're starting to warm up quite nicely and then get into your sleeping bag that warmth will go transfer into your sleeping bag, warm your sleeping bag up to your body temperature and you'll be left at a comfortable temperature and then you won't be tempted to put too many clothes on and then at some point you won't get too hot and put sweat into your sleeping bag. So those are the reasons why just general perspiration, breathing into your kit and wearing too much to start off with, later sweating and then later getting the moisture build up. So if you avoid those things, minimize the sweating, minimize the breathing into your kit, that should help and if you're still getting moisture buildup, it could be that if you've got a bivy bag around your sleeping bag, that maybe that bivy bag is not breathable enough. But remember, permeable membranes like Gore-Tex, Event and other permeable membranes like that don't work so well below about minus 20 because uh, particularly if they are very cold on the outside, the water vapor that would normally pass through the membrane uh, condenses as it hits the inside of the membrane before, it allow, before it's allowed out as vapor and that can cause a moisture buildup as well, a more moisture buildup than you get at warmer temperatures. So um, what you can sometimes have to do in cold environments is you have a frost you have a frost buildup on the inside of your of your bivvy if if you're bivvying outside in particular and you need to when you get up you have to turn your bivvy bag inside out and pretty much shake off the ice and if it's a layer of moisture hang it up in the cold air that will freeze and then you shake that off so hopefully those tips help right the bird scarer is going crazy over there if you can hear those bangs right last question is about something that we've been doing on and if you follow me on snapchat um you'll have seen on my snapchat channel if you don't follow me on snapchat uh, please do just find me as paul curtley on Snapchat, I'll put a link in the show notes as well, where you can go straight and add me. And it's just more video content. Um, Like this week when we've been on the course, I've been videoing little bits and pieces of the course, adding them to my Snapchat, adding some behind the scenes things about what we do in the instructor's camp. And it's just an interesting insight for you guys and girls who are interested in what we get up to, to see a bit more of what I'm up to in the woods. I don't do it every day. Some days I've got good phone reception, Um, Other days I've got no phone reception where we're running courses. So I'll add stuff where I can and it's generally quite fun. And there's one thing that's caught people's attention and I'll put a little clip of it up now of Spoons um, doing this thing. And I've had a few um, messages uh, on Snapchat, I've had a few messages on Facebook and a few messages on uh, Twitter actually asking what the hell it is that we're doing. And I'm not gonna tell you yet if you don't know, but if you jump on Snapchat, follow us on Snapchat. We will reveal what this is that spoons is doing and that I do some days uh, before too long. So I will see you on chat, Snapchat before too long. I hope um, it's just good video content. It's good fun, and uh, yeah, say hi when you when you join me there. Um, thank you for watching this episode of Ask Paul Kirtley. Um The the, uh, the sun is going down. The temperature is dropping. It's a lovely, clear sky. The birds are singing, and apart from the planes flying over and the bird scarer, it is <laughs> a really, really peaceful, idyllic, almost spring evening here in Sussex. And I look forward to speaking to you on the next Ask Paul Curtly before too long. Thanks for watching. Take care and enjoy the spring where you are. Bye.